Hello, and welcome to Healing for Your Thoughts, the podcast having the conversations that help us all heal out loud rather than suffer in silence after life happens. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with relatives of members of our nation's military about this very nuanced life existence. We'll be exploring the ideas of sacrifice for those who don't actually wear the uniform, but who nonetheless serve the military community and how it differs from civilian life, immigrants coming to the military and serving our country after leaving their own, and so much more. As a military spouse myself, I can tell you I'm super excited about this conversation. So let's get into the show. Ladies, 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 I'm so excited to have y'all here. Thank you so much, especially because I know for at least one of you, if it had not been me that was asking, the answer would have been no. So I appreciate you giving me this time today just to kind of share. Um, We come from very similar but nuanced backgrounds within the military community. And I just thought it was important to have a conversation about the idea of your military tribe versus like all your people outside of that and how they are very different Um, because people think they know, but they really don't know. Plus, I just thought it would be a great chat with the three of y'all. So let's get into it. Why don't you first um, each take a moment and introduce yourselves and share a bit about how um, you came into the military demographic that you represent, like spouse, kid, et cetera, so on and so forth. Whoever wants to jump in first, have at it. Okay, I'll go first. My name is Angela Hill, um, and I am a military spouse. Um, My husband just retired after 31 years of service. Um, Yes, And um, we originally, I'm originally from St. Louis, so I left St. Louis and went to Millington, Tennessee, where the Bureau, um, the Navy Bureau is. And we were there for three years, excuse me. And then we left Memphis, Tennessee, and we came to Virginia in 2006. And um, we have four children. Um, Our oldest is still in St. Louis and the other three are here in Virginia Beach. Um, two of our children are still in school, one in high school, one in middle school, and I also have a four-year-old grandson. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, scary. Um, it was exciting Mm -hmm. at first moving. Um, and, uh, I grew up moving a lot at home. So the moving wasn't as challenging as it maybe could be for other people. Um, but it was definitely challenging every time with another kid in tow, you know, so you one place and then have another baby, then you move in two people, then have another baby, then you move in three people, to, you know, so, but that's my experience, how I came to be part of the military family. Okay. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I'll go next. Um, my name is Yvette Langham, and I am a military brat. I was uh, born overseas when my dad was in the Army. And um, from there, I had always dreamed of marrying a man in the military because I wanted to shop at the commissary. I wanted to shop on base. <laughs> and my mom always thought that was the craziest thing. Like, so that's how you 
determine who you're going to marry <laughs> if you can get you an ID card. But, you know, I was a kid and that's all I knew. I knew shopping on base. And so and I knew everybody couldn't do it. Um, I met my husband. He was already almost 13 years in. So I literally married the military. He was all about it. And I knew nothing about the Navy. So um, that was my wonderful experience uh, with that. He's now retired uh, 30 and a half years. So, um, (laughs) and um, because of the fact that I came into this position so late in, in his career, I immediately wanted to learn as fast as I could. So I became an ombudsman just mm-hmm. in, um, which is a big to, job, by the way. It is. And many people told me not to do it, but these were women who came into the military when their husbands came in, you know, they got married young and everybody learned together. I needed the the fast route. So <laughs> I, I became an ombudsman and, um, that's pretty much the backstory for me and the military. Okay, thank you for sharing. And last but certainly not least, Ruth. So I am Ruth Buenaflor. I am a Navy brat. So I am the youngest of four. Um, my parents are originally from the Philippines. So as immigrants, they met in Vietnam. The four of us uh, were born in Rota, Spain. So to Angie's point, loved the travel. I mean, my now being one of the kids that she was referring to, my childhood was all around the world. We went from Spain. We ended up in Norfolk, Virginia Beach. We went to Italy for a few years, then ended up in the D.C. area in Oxon Hill, Maryland, went to college in D.C. and ended up staying in the area. Um, but just the exposure, the rules, um, I think it taught me a transient life. You know, we were able to make friends where we could, but my dad always had this saying that says there's four of you. Each of you has a brother. Each of you has a sister. Anything you else you want, you make on your own. And so it taught us to kind of the individuality as well as how to, you know, get to know ourselves and who would become, you know, quote, our our village, our community per se. That's a good word right there. There are four of you. Each of you has a brother and a sister. Like. When I think about that, I look back, I saw myself with my brother and sister and we're 11 years apart. And so while each of us has, well, I'm the one that has a brother and a sister. My sister has a brother and a sister, but my brother has two sisters. We are, because of our age difference, I almost saw and listening to what you were saying, I saw them having, each of you having a sibling. And I'm just kind of like the bonus on the outside because we're so far apart, whereas they had each other. Um, But I I like that. I definitely, um, I like what your dad said. For me, I am probably the baby of this situation in terms of military service because my husband did 23 and got out, two fingers and a peace sign and said, I'm done. Um, But he and I met uh, when we were, freshman. So I was a freshman in college and he was at the um, United States Naval Academy. And it was a crazy time. It was a different kind of experience because they had a lot of restrictions about they couldn't leave campus. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. And it was just dating in that environment was interesting um, just because 
a lot of our dating happened like over the phone for the first few years because he couldn't leave. He literally could not leave. And then um, I think it was his junior year when he got more freedom or as they call it, liberty. Um, But yeah, and then it kind of just, we broke up once or twice. I can't remember at this point. And then then we kind of went on um, from there. So let me ask you, all of you, with the exception of Yvette, and if I missed it, or if you just didn't reference it, um, please do share. Talked about moving around a lot. How would you say that impacted your family in the course of moving from here, there, and everywhere? I mean, for me, Angie said it best. You know, you move, you have a kid, you move and have another kid, and you learn how to be transient. Um, But there's also the other side of that. So how would you say overall the constant moving and transitioning from community to community and the different people and the relationships lost that you got to kind of try to hold on to, et cetera. How would you say that impacted y'all? I'd say for us, it wasn't really a choice. You know, I think my mom was so selfless all the time, you know, that she never, she never gave a point of view that this was an option. You know, it's kind of, we follow dad. This is, these are the orders per se that dad gets. I mean, the last thing he needs is complaints out of the soldiers per se, you know? So I think with us, it kind of goes back to that same comment, right? That you get a brother and a sister. So it taught us like you have each other, that is the community, but it will expand as we go. So we actually looked at it more of a positive experience. We may lose the folks that we're not going to see day to day, but we're going to meet new people. And then thankfully, we still keep in touch with some of those folks that we've met in our different, you know, places of residence, which is such a blessing. Okay. That's, that's good. Hold on to that. Cause we're going to come back to that. That is a question I have for later. Um, Yvette, how about you? Um, so as a army brat, I only got two moves out of the deal. Cause like you, I'm 12 years younger than my closest sibling. So by the time I came around, dad was about done. Well, no, let me back up. Mom was about done. So mom was like, okay, you said you were getting out. You're not getting out. When you done playing GI Joe, we're going to be right here in Charleston. Come, come see about us. So literally he went and continued to serve. And so we, I was born in Japan. We went to Texas and from Texas, we went to South Carolina and waited for my dad to finish doing what he was doing. Um, but then as a spouse, um, it was difficult for me because once again, I was coming in halfway through the game and every three years we were moving. So whereas I had a career, a home, you know, prior to us getting married, now I'm having to pick up, move, make new friends make new friends. And it got to the point though, where I enjoyed it, but I feel like I, I wasn't so much into friendships. Like I, I didn't connect with people to the point where I was sad when it was time for us to go. I was excited. I'm like, yeah, I get to go make new friends. And so the ones that I made, uh, we'll, we'll keep in contact, I guess, but I'm about to go make some new friends. And, but (laughs) job wise was very difficult for me because I had had, you know, I was a teacher. I had been teaching for seven, nine years when we got married. And 
my resume looked like Swiss cheese. It had all these holes in it because every time you go to a new place, you know, get a new job, new place, new job. And then it got to a point where I was like, you know what? Mm-mm, not worth it. When we had our daughter, it, I'd stopped and I haven't really taught since. So, but I, I still kind of have that standoffish type feel about people. But now that he's retired, I don't know how to act <laughs> because I have to make friends and keep them now. Uh oh. <laughs> That's why I'm so glad I, I met you. Episode about that, making friends and actually wanting to keep them. That is an interesting, that is a very interesting perspective. So I got to ask you. I Yeah, <laughs> the idea of that. Okay, so do you feel like, especially as we think about the greater military community and, and, and the making of friends is some of what keeps you sane in the midst of trying to live this very nuanced life. So do you feel like you had good quality of relationship with the people you made a quote unquote friendship with knowing, hey, I'm going to leave in a little bit. And I guess we're going to keep in touch, but maybe not too bad. So sad. Like, how was was that experience for you? Do you feel like you had quality friendship? Well, so that was my escape route. So if I did a good job making a friend, then that's a bonus. If I didn't, we ain't going to be here that long anyway. (laughs) I get to leave you and keep it moving. Um, But I did find that when we lived on base, the quality of friends was much better than just living in a neighborhood. People weren't as uh, friendly or open to conversations. Mm-hmm. And so my military friends that I met, they're like family, but everybody else, they're disposable. Oof. Okay. I know that sounds bad, but that's how I kind of looked at well, it. I, I appreciate your honesty. And I, I'm actually the complete opposite. I had zero, and I mean zero desire to live on base. So I never did. I That was like, and all the things in terms of I go with the flow, but the one thing I will not do is live on base ever, ever. So we never, ever did. Um, and I'm, I'm really good with that because just lost everything. Okay. Things happen. Um, but I, part of it is because the people that I met that were living on base they always seem to have drama and I couldn't do it because they were always at each other's houses and all that. And it was just like, that's not, that doesn't register for me as something I want to be a part of. And so I ran in the complete opposite direction. I'm good. I'll see you every now and again. I don't want to live in the same radius as you in this little box called the military base. Um, and as far as, you know, my neighbors, hi and by, I, I'm not really trying to have a whole lot of conversation with them either. So it didn't bother me, but um, yeah, it, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yvette, thank you for your honesty. I, I appreciate that. Angie. Yeah, for me, I guess my situation, well, like I was telling you the other day, even when you meet people in the military, um, the thing that connects us is the military, but it's so nuanced in the military. Your situation could really be totally different from the next person. Um, moving a lot wasn't really a big deal for me. I was raised um, with my mom and my two brothers, and we moved a lot as, as a kid. We moved around the city of St. Louis a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I changed schools a lot until I got to high school. 
So even though it was an, it's moving and changing environments, it's nerve wracking. It was something that I had experience with already. So it wasn't that big of a challenge. And I actually um, get bored quick. So something new, a new environment, new things. I'm always welcoming that. Um, I, my husband and I, we went to high school together, but we didn't, we didn't start dating until he was in the Navy for about 10, 10 years already. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was in already. He wasn't even a, a chief yet. He was still a first class when we started um, dating. Um, we dated for a year, which to your um, comment about dating and a military, you know, service member, it was different. Um, than any other dating experience because we were weren't together. <clears throat> Excuse me. And back then, you know, we didn't. The internet wasn't like the internet today. Back in like 2003, so we could email each other, but it wasn't like back in the 90s where you had to snail mail. Yep. You know, so it was a little bit better maybe than your situation, but not as um, easy to communicate as it is now. Mm -hmm. um, we, it, there was no video camera, no Zoom. Facebook wasn't even out yet when we were when we were dating when we first started dating in two thousand three. So that was a little bit of a challenge. But once um, we got married and we had to you know move and everything, I was okay with that. I actually, um, I love people. I won't say that I always necessarily like people, but I love people. My thing has always been trying to build a community, a community around myself that aligns with my personal goals and desires and things. The Navy was not mine. The military was not my goal or achievement or anything. So I was able to build relationships in my area, but they weren't all based around military lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I was not even really that much attracted to military lifestyle because it did not seem conducive to healthy families. I did, I did not live on base. I lived in public private housing community. It was military, but it was not on a base. We were out in town. There were, you know, single family homes. Um, so everybody around me was military affiliated, but it wasn't like on a base. I didn't have yeah. to show a car to get in. Every, well, nobody over each other's houses and that kind of stuff. I loved it because I did have, you know, children, well, a child at the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted her to, you know, meet some people. It was more hard for her bringing my my kid than it was for me. Um, um, and then the kids, the children that came after, you know, it's nothing for them. Just like. um, um I can't remember your name, girl. What is your name, honey? Let me look up here. Ruth. Just like Ruth. I'm sorry, y'all. Just like Ruth being a military brat, like it's nothing to you, right? So from my my younger girls, my 16-year-old and my 11-year-old, moving around, our dad being gone, you know, it's part for the course they're used to it. Yeah. So being pregnant while he's away, that was a challenge. So And they're done that. Yeah. And I had a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, yeah. Definitely can empathize with that. Yeah. Um, not easy for the weaker spirit or the faint of heart. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. If there is one thing you could change, and this question is for all of you, if there was one thing you could change about your experiences, first of all, would you change anything? And 
if there was something to be changed, what would it be? I'll, and I'll come back to you. Yep. If I could change anything, I would have um, not <laughs> being a stay at, at home mom mm -hmm. is um, or a stay at home parent mm -hmm. is pretty necessary when you have when your spouse is in the service and they travel a lot and you're away from your village, so mm -hmm. to speak. However, I think I would have put a little bit more effort into maintaining my professional and personal um, endeavors. Mm -hmm. um, independent of your husband. Independent of my husband and my children. If there is a way, I, I believe that the money that you spend on daycare and those things, they help a stay-at-home parent in the long run because once those children are out of the home, and now you have to come back to you. It's like starting all over in a whole new world. Um, so any money that you spend during that time to me would be an investment mm -hmm. into your future. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's if if I could go back, I would told it. I would have told. I it was hard, but I think I could have did the work, kid, maintain the house. I mean, I did it before. Mm -hmm. But as you have more kids, it becomes harder. But I really would have put a lot of effort into that because we still want to you still want to nurture yourself in this military lifestyle. The military can take over your whole life if you allow it. Um, that's true. That's, so, that's true. Um, my husband was really uh, clear when we got together that the military was his job. It was not his life. He was not a Joe Navy type of guy. So we didn't spend a lot of time doing the Navy things. I encouraged him so that he could promote all the way up to he couldn't promote anymore. And he had to get out. But we kept that his job. It was a job for him. It was not a lifestyle for us. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, it's interesting. I can. It's not interesting that I can relate, but it's interesting hearing. And first of all, let me say thank you for being honest, because there are a lot of stay-at-home parents, but more so the moms who feel very squeamish about being honest about having aspirations beyond being someone's spouse and someone's mother. Um, because society can tend to shame us when we tell the truth of how we're feeling on a given day. Um, and so first of all, like I said, thank you for that honesty. And in that, I absolutely relate to what you said. I before, um, so when my son was young, I worked. He did go to daycare after a certain age. Now, my husband and I did have a conversation. He grew up where his mom was home with him. I think he said until he's the eldest of three. And I think he said she might have been home something like 12 years, something like that. Um, so he had an expectation that I'd be at home with our children. I had an expectation that we balance this thing and I'm going to go work. I'm going to nurture the babies. I'm going to get them to the certain place. But then I'm going to go work because I didn't sign up to sit at home. And so when we had Mikey, I did work. And I was, sometimes it did get difficult because the job I had at the time was very intense. Um, and I worked long hours, but I figured it out. We figured it out. Um, when my daughter came along, it did get to be more challenging because unfortunately she had some health issues that were major. And so I started out working when I had the two kids, but then I ended up having to 
um, stopped working because she required a lot of medical intervention. And it became, I'm at home with her and now we're moving and I'm at home with them, et cetera, so on and so forth. And before I knew it, a decade had passed. Now, I'm going to I'm going to be brave in my truth and say the problem and the challenge of that is that in that decade I never stopped wanting to be that professional person. I never stopped wanting to have my own individualized identity in the ways that you speak about in terms of working outside the home and having your children in daycare. And again, but I had a choice to make, right? But there was this part and I have talked about this in other spaces there was this part of me that over time felt like I got left behind. I went to school to do nothing, basically, right? Because my friends were all going off living lives, having careers, and I missed out on that, in a sense. At least that's how I felt for a long time. And, comma, the other side of that, though, is that I start. it got to the point where I started to feel like I had lost the sound of my own voice. I still, at the core of me, knew what I believed in, but beyond that, I didn't have much to offer because that part of me wasn't being nurtured. But now, flash forward, you know, almost two decades later, I look at my children and where they are and what they've done and who they are as people, and I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know that I would have, if I could change it, go back. You know, there are some days when I absolutely would, and then there are other days, again, because no matter what, I was the parent that was consistently present, not because my husband didn't want to, but because like Ruth said, her mom said, this is dad's job. There, there isn't a choice. This is what he has to do. If he could be here, he would be. When he can, he is. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yvette, if I can add, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just, just one thing I wanted to add is that... Um, I think I'm by nature, I'm naturally a nurturer and I knew I love my children and I'm so proud of them and uh, my presence because my mom was a working mom. She was never at home. We were last year. So I I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. So as much as I wanted to be more present for my children and it's a part of me, I mean, I feel like I was created to be a mother. I'm a natural nurturer. But the reason that in hindsight, I wouldn't necessarily opt out of the stay-at-home mom position, mm-hmm. but I would definitely prioritize me because I don't like the feeling of feeling left behind. I did not know that I would feel like that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason that I probably would opt out is because of the disrespectful and dismissive nature of others when you are in that position. Like, yes. like I, I know you didn't mean it. You say, well, I didn't sign up to stay, to just sit at home. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as just sitting at home, Correct. especially when you are a military spouse. You sacrifice yourself. Correct. And you wait on your children and you wait on your husband and the, the Navy or the military, whatever they need. When you get all and told to do the, you know, yes, mandatory fun, we call it. And all the value that you have to offer, your position becomes this thing that no one else around you values. Yep. That's a dangerous position to be in, especially if you have not found a community of people to surround yourself with. And I did find myself in that position where I was extremely lonely mm-hmm. and unfulfilled, You'll very see. happy with my 
with my family, with my children and what I was able to do and how I was able to support my husband. But on a personal level, how I feel about myself. So that's why in hindsight, I feel like as hard as I work juggling them, I could have added me in there too. Absolutely. Prioritized myself in there. But those are things as a 28 year old young woman that you don't know until maybe 20 years later. Absolutely. Because I'm going to tell you. I say that for all um, young young women, a lot of the young women that I come in contact with now, just to be able to be aware and make that conscious decision. Um, that wasn't something I ever, I ever thought of. I never even thought being a stay at home was an option because where I'm from, mama's work, Absolutely. sometimes two jobs, whether yep. they got a husband or not. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just a, a lot of things that I didn't consider on the front end. Yeah. And there's really like, there's not a manual, right? There's not a manual for how to be a military dependent. I'm not even going to say spouse because there are some other requirements that are placed upon the children. You know, if you are born into this dynamic, you really have no choice, at least with a spouse. Okay. That's your job. And I'm gonna marry you and we're going to figure it out. But with the kid, you just in it from day one. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's no manual there, which is why there's no right or wrong answer. And what worked two years ago may not at all be effective today, you know, and to your point at 27, 28, you know, I got married at 24 and turned 25 and had a baby right after that. I've been thinking about the fact that I was going to ever have to sit at home. Right. But I do understand what you speak about. There are some people who very foolishly believe that stay at home parents are just sitting around watching TV all day. And I can tell you, I in the time that I spent at home, I in some regards, I was more busy than a nine to five job and tired as I don't know what at the end of the day, ready to throw a kid at their father the minute he walked in the door. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me about a meal. Figure it out. Here are your children. I'm off. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> so I absolutely understand and appreciate you sharing. Ruth, how about you? What would you change as a military kid? You know, I'll do, I, I'd probably say two things. I'll say the silly one first. Um, I think the four of us as kids, we didn't appreciate the world like we do now. So to travel, we, we were kids, you know, I, 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 we always remember a story of us being in Paris. And I think one of my brothers said to my dad, we've been here. Why is this so exciting? And my dad said, we've never been here before. What are you talking about? He was referring to King's Dominion. And my dad just, a mom and dad looked at us and were like, you know what? You guys have no appreciation for the world. And it's funny because it's a family memory that we look back and go, oh my God, we stood at these places. And yeah. it's just, You know, those are the kind of memories you live with forever um, that as kids now when we travel and we do family trips overseas and we get to see the places we lived at as kids, which is amazing. And now the next generation gets to see it. I think the second one, which I started to see and then especially rings true just meeting Yvette and Angie today, is as I started to get older in my 20s, my 30s, I think I had much more respect for my mom you know, because when you're young and you're a girl, right, you don't appreciate your mother, you know, you just, you kind of like you said, you know, whether it's, you know, the selflessness of it, you know, she gave up her career, she left, you know, her home, her family, she left the country. 
And so we always, because she was so businesslike, we thought that it, you know, was not not a big deal. But as we got older, it just kind of like there was more empathy. So being a daddy's girl all my life, I started to notice that as I got older, it was like forcing my mom to find out what she liked. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? You know, because if no one asked, she wouldn't say. And so I never thought about that when I was a little girl. And I think that's probably where as four kids, you know, I wonder, God, how did she do this? How did she feed us? How did she take care of us? How were you able to do this when dad was on a ship in the middle of nowhere? And so we probably could have been better. I don't recall us being terrible kids, but gosh, you know, like I just don't know how she did it. Probably would look back and probably be a little bit more respectful to mom. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of um military kids as they have the benefit of aging, hopefully arrive at the place at the destination that you just spoke of, because again, it is a thankless job. You know, you are worn out. You do sacrifice a lot and people don't necessarily fully understand the weight bearing that is required to stand in that position, no matter what else, you know, every job I ever had, in the interview or shortly thereafter, if they were, if they dared offer me the job, I always leaned in and said, I need to tell you something before we go any further in this relationship. I am a military spouse and I am a mom because life happens at some point, there's going to be a moment when my children need me and my husband's not available, which was a lot of the time. And so what that looks like is this. You can either understand that I'm going to leave and at some point I'm going to come back or we can just not even go any further and we will respectfully agree that this is not the best fit for either one of us. But either way, I'm going to go. And believe it or not, the employers I had respected it, you know, and I was able to navigate and juggle. Was it always easy? Absolutely not. Was I torn when I had to leave my kids? Absolutely. But then there was that part of me that had that individualized nourishing that I needed to to try to maintain some semblance of, of who I was as a person as Charlita before I became Mike's wife and Mikey and Kalia's mother. You know, it is a dangerous place to Angie's point to be lonely and feel like you're lost, you have lost yourself. I have been there and it is not an easy place to come back from. You know, I've been very open, which is part of how this podcast stumbled its way into being a thing in saying, yeah, I lost the sound of my voice and I had to work hard to figure out how to find it again. I'm still working. It's louder than it once was, but it's probably going to get to be, you know, a shouting situation before this is all over with. So you know, we're just, we'll see what happens. We'll keep living, you know, say yes to things and we'll see what happens. Yvette, how about you? What would you change? So mine kind of speaks to what Ruth and you were just talking about. I would have been more vulnerable, um, more open about not being all there, all put together. You know, um, I think I made it look seamless to my husband And therefore, when I got to situations where I was struggling with things, he couldn't understand it because it's like, I I don't get it. You, you do this. This is what you do. And it's kind of like, 
yeah, I've done it, but I did it on a wing and a prayer. It was, you know, ripping on with all of my strength. And now it's like, he's struggling to understand like, well, gosh, what did I miss? How did I miss Mm -hmm. the signs? And it's like, there were none because I, I buried them. I hid them in places and you had no idea what I was really struggling with, how I was keeping it all together. But yeah, I, I would definitely change the fact that, you know, I could have been a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more open about what I was feeling and what was going on. Yeah. I, that too is powerful. And it, and it brought a memory back to me. Um, there was, you know, I, there have been times when I was frustrated because I would be like, everything is held together, but then I would hit a point where I'd had enough. And then the top, the lid would, you know, blow. Right. And I remember there was one particular time where it was just out of control in the Harvey house. Like the kids were, you know, they would leave stuff at home, be very cavalier and call me from school. Oh, mommy, I left this. I left that. And I could one time, I can't remember which child it was, but there was one of my two children who I love so dearly, had the audacity to call me from school to say they had left their gym bag. I could, And they were calling me from the nurse's office. And I could hear the nurse in the background saying, well, what makes you think your mother has time? to bring this bag to the school. And my child, dare they say, well, she's just at home. She don't have nothing else to do. I, the level of anger that rose up in me, I I didn't even at that time know was possible. And so everyone got home that afternoon. I had a full blown meltdown and everybody got told about themselves in proper fashion up to and including me having to help them understand I this is my fault this is really this foolishness that has come out your mouth this is my fault because I have made it so comfortable for you you don't even know what you don't have to worry about because you don't have to worry about knowing that's my fault we're gonna correctify this right now and I went from and it was I, I mean I was so angry that I started crying like I was so furious, the audacity of you to think, to say, to dare say that out of your mouth. And so I think we set ourselves up by not allowing them to see, to understand because the the other spouse, they don't go do what they need to do because their, their, their explanation is, well, uncle Sam says I have to. Okay. Well, I'm saying is some stuff in here. You got to do too. Um, so thank you so much for that perspective. Y'all, this has been so good. We almost out of time. Lord have mercy. Let me ask another question. Um, in that same vein of serving, but you know, we don't wear the uniform. How does it make you feel when someone good or bad or indifferent, when someone says to you, thank you for your service, even though, you know, you don't wear the uniform. Yvette, I'll come right back to you. No one's ever said that to me. Are you serious? I'm so serious. Like ever? Mm-mm. Even at like, I guess the most that, that maybe somebody has said it to me was in the capacity of an ombudsman. But outside of that, they say it to my husband and they kind of look at me like, hey, <laughs> keep it moving. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me. Yeah. Angie, how about you? Well, yeah. 
I was ombudsman at um, HM14 for a while. Um, and people do say it to me. People have said it to me and to my children. And I say thank you because I don't wear the uniform, but I have served. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. I, and I didn't sign the contract. Correct. Ruth, did you ever so, have that experience with someone thanking you for your service as a, as a military dependent? No. In fact, to Yvette's point, I don't remember everyone, anyone ever saying that to my mom either. I think it, the really? attention tended to go, yeah, I don't, I don't have any recollection of that either. Now I feel like a unicorn because I, it, I've had countless, I mean, countless people. It happens to me at least once or twice a week, even now. Even now with a retiree, uh, you know, dependent retiree ID, even now it happens to me at least once or twice a week. I never even considered that y'all hadn't had. Wow. Wow. That is I'm. I'm both surprised and a little bit shocked. That's crazy. For better, and maybe me saying that out loud sounds crazy, but it goes to the point that there are people who feel like if you don't wear the uniform, you're not serving. You know, um, the first time it happened for me, it was a little uncomfortable because back then I was still, you know, very young in this situation, and I was like, I ain't serving. I'm he the one, you know, whatever. But now. I'm like, Angie, thank you. <laughs> I earned some stress. Thank you. Um, but I have to say on a serious note, there is in all of the years that it has been said to me, there was one time when it hit me in such a different way. And I, I wasn't, it caught me off guard. I wasn't prepared for it. So my husband um, deployed for the first time post 9-11. And I was still in my early 20s. And I can honestly say I, I didn't expect even in marrying someone in the military. And I come from a family full of people who have served. I didn't expect to be married to someone who would go off to war. So I was having to even reconcile that. And that experience was. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot. Um because I was pregnant with my son when 9-11 happened and gave birth to him shortly thereafter. And so there was a lot of things happening um, at that time. And I remember being out with my son and he was an infant and I was driving and someone ran a light and almost T-boned us. And I swerved and ended up like driving up on the curb. And it terrified me because I screamed because had the, had the car hit us, the other car, hit us, they would have impacted on my child's side. And that's why I screamed. Like I, I remember screaming so loud, it scared him and he started screaming. And so it took me a second to realize that we didn't hit the, like the other car didn't hit us. And so this guy, he saw it happen. And I remember when I, when I got up on the curb, I quickly put the car in, in park and I jumped out and ran to the other side of the car and, and just snatched Mikey out of like car seat and all just snatched him out of the car. And I was like literally hugging him in the car. I probably was smothering him, bless his heart, because <laughs> it scared me so bad. Um, I remember hugging him so close to my chest and he's crying. I'm crying. And the, and there was a guy that was waiting across the street and, and he saw what happened. And so he comes bolting through traffic. I mean, cars were, you know, whatever. He comes bolting through traffic. And he's like, oh, my God, 
are you okay? Are you, is your baby okay? And I was, I was shaking so bad and I was crying. It was, it was just like the world was just crazy spinning around me. And he said, are you sure you're, and, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm fine. My, you know, I'm looking Mikey over, whatever. And somehow, and this is back in the day when they still had stickers on the car. You still had a sticker on your vehicle when you, you know, access in the base. And he looked and he saw the sticker or whatever. And before he walked away, he literally looked me in my face and said, thank you for your service and saluted me. And it like, probably most of the emotion was from what had just happened. But by that time, we were actively in war post 9-11 and I was still kind of trying to navigate all of that. And I just remember weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping uncontrollably, just like, and that's, it was that day that my mindset about, I don't wear the uniform and I'm serving significantly changed because it was a stark reminder for me my husband is off to at war. And if it goes bad, he won't come home. And that is a sacrifice I've willingly made in marrying him and saying, I mean, yeah, he still got to go, but I could have been the wife because I know some people who've done that. I could have been the wife that gave him the ultimatum and say, well, if you go, I'm out. Which is a whole other thing. And so after that, did I show up in places expecting people to say that to me? No, not at all. Absolutely not. But do I absolutely appreciate it when they say it? You better believe it. Because it's been a long few decades. Absolutely, I do. Um, man, okay. That's 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 good stuff. That's good. <laughs> in the vein of that. Have y'all had your your military person? Have you had the experience of them going off to war? And if so, what was your um, wartime military support experience like? Ruth, I'll start with you. Yeah, I remember as a kid him being gone, and I think Angie. You know, it's funny having these conversations bring brings back so many memories. Like Angie's right. I remember back in the day we just had the phone. You know, if the phone rang, dad was on the phone and we all got a few seconds, you know, it was to the point that, you know, the, the communication might have been so bad, you know, we would end with copy just to make sure we weren't stepping on each other's voice. But those are probably the memories I have. It's just a quick call and you could hear his voice. And, you know, um, thankfully, it wasn't as much exposure things on TV. So you didn't get to see all this stuff. But but yeah, it was, it was again, very business-like, you know, we got updates, but we didn't get exposure to a lot of the scary. Um, but, but yeah, I think that now having the discussions and getting the experience, there's been a lot of, you know, like eye-opening details now as adults mm -hmm. to go, wow, how did we not know that? And I think it was just because they didn't expose us as kids, yeah. you know, they, they kept certain things away, but but I do remember just being able to have a couple seconds. That's how you knew dad was, he was, he was still alive. And yeah. It's kind of weird to think about that now. Right. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, you know, when nine 11 happened, um, I remember everyone was frantically like literally the day we went to war that following, I think it was March after nine 11, I remember all of my relatives who knew that Harvey was in the military and had been deployed were all frantically trying to call me and phone lines were just, I mean, it was just crazy. And I remember talking to my father-in-law 
And this is when I said to your point about exposure or lack thereof. I remember him saying something to the effect of, well, Philip, because they called my husband by his middle name. Well, Philip, you know, he's over there, but at least in this, even with this happening, he'll still get to keep practicing his flights. And I remember that comment kind of struck me because I was like, wait, what? And then I realized, yeah, this is a different kind of experience I'm having versus what you're having. And so I said to him, practice is over. We're at war. So the next time he gets in a jet, it's the real deal. And if it goes left, it's going all the way left. There there is no playtime. Playtime is over. And that was a reminder to me, again, to your point about exposure or lack thereof, people outside the bubble have a different perception of what happens in the bubble. And they really don't necessarily, and it's not intentional. It just is the way that it is. Don't necessarily understand what that bubble, what it really means to be in that bubble. Not just when all you know everything is fun and games. There might come a time when the fun and games are over, and that's when the real service starts because you're trying to calm the children who miss their father. You're trying, or mother. Let's be you know fair. Um, You're trying to stay off of the news channel. CNN was like a drug to me when we went to war. You know, you are hanging and holding on, you know, white knuckling this experience of when are they going to call? You know what I'm saying? There's no more playtime. It's it's over. You know, I, I remember I was sleeping with Mikey. He was a toddler. And, you know, you have those dreams where the phone you think you, the phone you hear something ringing. And then by the time you realize it's actually ringing, it stops ringing. Well, there had been a situation, an exercise. And Harvey was calling me to tell me he was okay. And and I missed the call. And I was devastated that I missed the call. And the message he left me was, no matter what you see on television, I'm fine. And I can tell you getting a message like that was like, okay, (laughs) what now? And I just, I was, I was so beside myself because I missed that call and I didn't know when I was going to get to talk to him again, you know, and, and it, it turns out there was, you know, the, the situation in the end, he, he had to be rescued from the beach. I'll just say that. Um, and it, it, my nerves were shot, just, just shot, um, And then several months later, during that same deployment, he was involved with another situation. And um, I and at that time I was working and I and I was working. (laughs) Interestingly, I was working for a funeral services corporation in San Diego, and we had the exclusive contract with the military. So all of the casualties of that war came that were in California came to my place of business. Looking back on that now, I don't know how I got up and went to work every day. I walked in one day and the receptionist was very well-meaning. But again, if you're outside the bubble, you don't think about the stuff that you're saying. And the minute I walked in the door, she bolted from the front counter and she had the San Diego Union Tribune newspaper in her hand. And she said, oh my God, Charlita, your husband is in the paper. What? And she didn't give it any context. 
she's fumbling and it turns out she didn't have the part of the paper that was talking about my husband. So I am now running through the building like a maniac trying to get the piece of the newspaper that mentioned my husband to find out because this woman has left me on a ledge. I was so angry and frazzled. I know she didn't mean it, but my nerd, like, I think I had a headache for three days after that because she was like, yeah, there was some kind of bombing. I mean, and, and I'm looking at her like, okay. It took about 30 minutes before I got my hand on the piece of paper. Long story short, he had bombed something else and made the news. If she had a lead with that, it would have been a different outcome because I, I think I had to go back and apologize to her ultimately because I, I feel like I said some choice words once I called my nerves. Um, yeah, but people outside the bubble, they don't, they don't, they don't know. They don't know, you know, so that, 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 that I just, oh, I hope Angie, you remember my question. Cause I don't remember my question. I just flashed back to that memory, listening to what Ruth said about, you know, being shielded from things. So Angie, I really hope you remember the question. Cause I don't remember it. I think the question was about, um, ex- experience when the, um, service member was deployed. Yes. 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 And um man, so many experiences. Like I'm, this is a show or this is a podcast about healing. So let me just be honest when I say that I have probably some not no probably. I do have trauma mm-hmm. from being a military spouse. I really do. Um being pregnant, having a baby, you know, what the thing that sticks out to me now is when our now 16 year old, she was he had to leave and be deployed for seven months and she was maybe three or four months old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was really intentional, you know, being a teacher. I knew what to do to keep his face in front of her. You know, they couldn't always talk, but I took pictures of us, took pictures of them together, put them in a little flip book so she could see him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. every day. You know, and just so she could be familiar because she was so young. Um, and it seems like when they're gone, everything, the washing machine breaks and a oh, pipe bus, and absolutely. my car stop on the side of the road with my baby in a car in groceries. And I don't know anybody in Hampton Roads. It's just like so many different things. I'm just, I'm talking about, <laughs> man, somebody knocking on the door in the middle of the night. Nobody's there but me and my kids. I don't have anyone I could call. I'm scared. Just like, so many different things, um, some big things, some small things, but it was a lot of times when I was literally, when he was gone on the other side of the planet mm-hmm. and I literally just had to figure it out as I go. I, I remember it was one room, his little man cave. I saw a spider in there. We closed that door and we did not go in that door for in that room for about two months. <laughs> I was not going Oh my goodness. I was not in there. Like what was what was I gonna do? I, I could listen, in a jar. I, I literally just had to just like not use that jar and like okay, well we won't have any relish in the tuna salad because I can't get the jar open. So you know, just stuff listen, like little things and big things. I'm chuckling, but I can so relate, and I know there are so many people 
that can relate to what you're saying. I mean, it's and it's true. It's almost like the running joke. The day they leave, all kind of hell break loose. It's I everything mean, breaks. I remember one deployment. We got in the in a car accident, leaving the base after just dropping him off, leaving the base. The water, the water, um, what you call it? The um, the water heater broke one time oh, when yeah. we were overseas in um. England, I got another car accident. Somebody T-boned me while I was picking, totaled my car, spun me out in the traffic. Um, that was terrifying. And he was, he was that day, my husband was on an exercise in the middle of the planet where it took them like six hours to get the message to him that I was in the hospital. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, but I think the most traumatic thing to your point and to your bravery of truth. Thank you for that. That I experienced was being sick while he was deployed and having to undergo radiation treatment. That was awful. It was awful in so many different ways that we don't have time to get into now. We might have to do a part two of this episode. Um, It was, it was awful. And I was afraid for myself. I was afraid for my children. And I, you know, listening to what you shared, yeah, I would describe that as trauma. And so I have a follow-up question for you, Angie. How did you deal with all of the traumas you experienced? Or did you? Have you? Do you feel like there's still some residue from those things that are hanging out in the shadow of your life unresolved, but you've kind of, as military um, spouses do, as military children do? You compartmentalize and keep putting one foot in the in front of the other. How would you say, you know, have you dealt with it? I will say that I am dealing with it. And I will say that probably uh, like over the over the years, it's not something that I just let build up, right? So things happen and you try to deal with it. Well, I tried to deal with it in the way that I knew how with mm-hmm. this and give it as much attention as I could, being that I have you know, tr- children and all of those things to manage without the help, the hands-on support from my husband. What I've done now since my husband is recently retired, you know, our two oldest children, they're adults mm-hmm. in their 20s, late 20s and early 30s. And then our two youngest children are high school and middle school. So I have more time. Yeah. One thing that is helping me is... um self-awareness and Mm -hmm. self-care. I know those are um, hot topics, trending terms now, but I really don't see, I don't see a reality for anyone to heal Mm -hmm. without doing the hard work of looking inward. It is very hard. It has been very hard. Um, something that I, you know, the shadow work, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, going back and asking yourself those hard questions and really sitting with yourself, um, showing up for myself in a way that no one has ever been able to show up for me. Um, one of the things that I realized is that, um, you know, when you dedicate yourself to your family, to your um, spouse's career, um, you have a responsibility to yourself as much. I have a responsibility to myself as much as I have to my children and to my husband. Um, 
and I have to show up for myself so that I can show myself that I can trust myself. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Because in this community, who, where was the support where it wasn't going to come? I didn't, you know, nothing was always consistent being in the military. So you don't have that consistent network. You got to find people wherever you go. Whatever situation, you got to find somebody to identify with. Well, the one person who I was not talking to, one person who I was not identifying with was myself. Mm -hmm. So the more I do that, the better I feel, the more I'm honest with myself about things that I went through in the past that I never had the opportunity to talk about or release. Um, I talk to myself about those things and I write those things down. That's how I conversate with myself by writing. when I'm feeling good, I write. When I'm feeling bad, I write. When I'm confused, I write. I ask myself questions and then I answer myself. You, you know, I have to do that. Otherwise, it was nothing else that I have done. All the things I did trying to make it all make sense. It did not make sense until I prioritized myself. No matter what, no matter what other people think, because like you said, people are already... It was it was it was so breaking to put everything, all of my being in existence into something to someone else and have everybody around you devalue you because they don't see your work. But, you know, you are exhausted mentally, emotionally, spiritually and physically. Mm -hmm. I always keep up the physical part. Yoga teacher, exercise, do all that stuff. So on the outside. Oh, Angie, keep her done. She keep a nice bag. Oh, yes. Home. However, comma. However, you don't know my struggle. You don't know how alone I am. You don't know. I don't even, it was a point. I didn't even know myself. Angie, what do you like? I was at a dinner with adults and I said, excuse me, I have to go potty. What? <laughs> You're a grown woman. But I'm always around kids. Yes. You know, I go out with friends and next thing I know, I'm cleaning off the table. They're like, girl, what are you doing? Well, I'm used to doing it, you know, mm-hmm. make, you know, so it's like I had to, even now, I have to force myself to prioritize myself. So that's the work. That's the, that's, that's the ongoing solution for me. Angie, 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 let me, did y'all hear that crash, that boom, that mic drop into the floor? Because I heard it. That mic just crashed to the floor. That's that's all I can say. I this y'all don't know how y'all have blessed my spirit today. This is what my podcast is intended to be. Having the conversations seriously, not just a tagline that help us all heal out loud. When you can be in a situation where you're talking to people who have had similar experiences or they're sharing some experience that might, that maybe you haven't had, but in the sharing of that, if something resonates with you, that makes you, even if you don't feel comfortable sharing, but makes you want to go and do that work on yourself, on your relationships, you know, to be, you know, I have said to I don't know how many clients of mine, the single most important relationship you will ever be in, aside from the one you have with God, our father, if you are a person of faith, is the the relationship that you have with yourself. Because that's one person you can never leave. 
You can't divorce them. You can't say, I need a relationship time out. You are going to always be with yourself. So you better get right in terms of how you treat you, how you see you, what you speak to yourself, how you value or not yourself. You got to get right with that because that's the one relationship that's going to always require some attention. But there are so many of us that don't do that. I was in this this, um, mental health focused uh, Twitter um, uh, space last night. Forgive me, y'all. I'm brand. I'm I'm dating myself. Brand new to Twitter, and this is all foreign to me. But I was on that Twitter um, space last night as a as a speaker, and I was so extraordinarily proud. There were men who joined that space and shared their challenges with anxiety, depression, and all the very things, and so much more that Angie talked that all of you spoke about really. Um, And so I think this is where we start to make a difference. This is where we start to shift. So I'm going to put it out in in this um, podcast space right now. I'm going to have to have y'all come back. There's so much more I want to ask you, talk about, but I know we're out of time for today. This has been so amazing, y'all. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. We're going to have to do a part two for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. We're going to have to do a part two because this, I think... People need to hear it. They need to experience it. They need to know that it's okay to share and to start to do the work, you know, but I mean, you got to be now let's keep it real. You do have to be careful what you share and who you share it with. But Absolutely. I would, uh, if I can interrupt, I would be sure. unable to be as transparent um, about this topic if I were not on, speaking with other Women, first of all, I don't even think I would be able to identify with the man because men and self-awareness and how they heal is totally different. Yeah. Um, but if it were not you, I don't think I, could talk about it. I don't think I don't think I could talk about it because you absolutely have to trust. You know, um, you absolutely have to trust. And this is this topic is something that is like at the, the forefront for me. It's not something in the back. It's at the front for me. Um so being able to be in a space, that's one thing when you are sharing and trying to heal, um, you know, making sure you're in a safe space because your emotions and feelings, there isn't always a safe space for that in the in the military. That is like, true. They're, they're starting to make some inroads, but it's still, I do a lot of work with Navy SEALs and it is still a very taboo thing. If you say, tell me how you feeling, it is like deer in headlights. It is. It is crazy, um, but it is understandable. It's 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 so doing the work, having these conversations is what's going to normalize it more so that people can really arrive at a place of um, self-discovery and healing for whatever, you know, their lived experiences have been. So, again, I say we're going to have to come back for a part two of this discussion because I, I feel like there's we only scratch the surface. We only scratch the surface. Um, ladies, thank you so much. For being here today, it has been my pleasure having you to my listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, remember to live well and with intention. All my best, Charlie.